0: You drank all of the Julie James running juice.
1: Well, I mean, should just gave me more. I'd like
0: to see you, Julie James, run your ass to the kitchen and get <laughs> some more. What are you waiting for? Repour. What are you waiting
1: for? Yo, falsetto. What's your favorite line and scene from this slick flick Pick.
0: I know what you did last summer, 1997. Question. What is your favorite line of dialogue from this flick? This flick in a slicker. Get it? Yup. Cinematic fanatics, this is a tough one. It really is. But I have narrowed it down to a two-way tie of dialogue. And I know what you did last summer. First, you have Officer David Caporzo talking to Helen Shivers, who of course is played by the lovely Sarah Michelle Gellar. And he asks her, as she's sitting in the back, why does he have her sitting in the back of the squad car? She could be sitting up front with him. I know why. Because it's something that she's going to have to escape later. Oh, and did this killer use his hook to cut all your hair off? <laughs> no, he used scissors, asshole. Just the way she delivers this line. And then she goes on to say, Listen, you little shit stick, Mayberry ass reject. There's been a murder, and you are going to fry in hell if you ignore it. I love Sarah Michelle Geller in this flick. She is by far my favorite character in this flick, and she does the best acting in this flick, and I fucking love Helen shivers. And then, tied with that line spoken by Ben Willis, who would prove to be the slicker wearing slasher, he has this extremely unsettling dialogue with Julie James. You in some kind of trouble, child? Yes. Yeah, I'm in a lot of trouble. That's a shame. Being that it's the 4th of July and all, kids like you should be out having fun, drinking, partying, running people over. Getting away with murder. Things like that. Fuck. I love it. And like I was telling Red Devil, which we just recently watched this together, I think it would have been better if his little shrine of terror was secluded better. And she goes out on the boat with him, and like five to ten minutes pass, and they're just talking, and he offers her some hot cocoa with marshmallows. And she slowly starts realizing, based on his demeanor, that he's the killer instead of like walking onto the boat and then immediately seeing this wall of weird a la Smallville and Chloe Sullivan and everything. Now, there were some contender lines where Barry says, <laughs> played by Ryan Felipe, let's just pretend he's some escaped lunatic with a hook for a hand and we're doing everybody a favor. Okay, that's a joke within a joke. It's great. But then I love this realization that salt water washes over Julie James' face. When she's at Melissa Egan, played by Anne Heche, or Heche, or however the fuck you say her last name, Melissa has had enough, and she says to Julie James, get out of my house. And then Julie, realizing David Egan was not the one she and her friends hit that night, says, oh my god, it wasn't your brother. And the music is playing, and she's far away from her friends right now, and you realize something that she realizes, which is, we were dead wrong we were dead man's swerve curve wrong. And this is going to drive the remainder of the plot forward. And I love it. Red Devil, what is your favorite line from? I know what you did last summer.
1: I have a favorite line and then I have a most quoted line. So obviously I have to share both. My favorite line, I mean, I do like the one that you just shared because basically it reveals everything. We've been tricked. We don't know what's happening. But I like the little lines that I could relate to, and so I love it when Helen and Julie are headed out to Ann Hacia's house for the first time, and Helen is wanting to make a plan. Julie doesn't really care, and Helen goes, "We should have a plan." Angela Lansbury always had a plan, and that's so true. If you weren't watching Murder She Wrote in the '90s, what were you watching? Our gateway into true crime—that's what I say. And then, plug your ears, audience. My most quoted line of all time. From I Know What You Did Last Summer. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? I even came back from the the mic to say that because falsetto hates it when I'd say that. Now Othello's here. Let's ask Othello what is his favorite line.
0: She just screamed so loud that she conjured up the spirit of Julie James. And now you can hear the buoy out in the bay.
1: Oh, very clever. Very clever. Who's the sound effect guru now?
0: Move over, Q-Code. Now, my favorite scene is a three-way tie. Number one, the first five fucking minutes. You get this song, a remake Summer Breeze, or a cover song Summer Breeze by Typo Negative. It is an example of perfect song with perfect imagery, laced over each other perfectly. And even Ebert, who gave this one out of four stars and took a big, fat saltwater dump on this film, he even said his favorite shot was the first five minutes. But you got this helicopter, is how they used the camera technique to capture it. But you got this jagged coast, which is hilarious because that's all California. And this film is supposed to be in Southport, North Carolina, and a lot of it is. But you get this dead man swerve curve, this ominous music. The camera pans in and shows this guy in overalls, sitting, looking all lugubrious and suicidal. He's drinking a beer. And then all of a sudden, just when you don't know what the fuck to expect, because you hear a rustling, and it's just very, very unnerving, you get fireworks in the sky. And then it transitioned us over to the, well, at Kima Boardwalk in Texas, it would have been called Rock the Dock. But it's just a great opening shot filled with menace and curiosity. My second favorite scene is when Julie James, Jennifer Love Hewitt that is, is alone in her house at night, the first night that she's back in town. And you have this haunting wind blowing and moaning, and you have this beer bottle rattling in the street. She looks out the window. She's sitting alone in the dark in the living room, and the wind is blowing this tree. And it's just such a mood setter, and I love it. And then lastly, I love when Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's a sequence, when Sarah Michelle Geller is stalked and pursued from the back of the police car all the way through shivers as she makes her last ditch effort to sprint towards the parade. I have heard podcasts and I have read reviews where they say, like the movie or not, that sequence when she is being chased by the man in the slicker walking at a nice stroll of a pace is one of the most suspenseful chases that's ever been done in slasher film history. And I love it and I still fucking love it. So way to go. I know what you did last goddamn summer. Red Devil, what is your favorite scene or two from this flick?
1: I really like the opening as well. Specifically after the party, the 4th of July rock the dock event, I like when they're on the beach, they have the fire going and each of them is telling their version of the Hookman story. It just reminds me of urban legend in how like everybody has heard some version some rumor um, of a horror story. And they're all sitting around telling the version that they heard or what they think. And it's all in the same scope, but varying details. And then I think it's cool that they have like that hollowed out boat or that rotted out boat on the shore as well. I just thought it was that whole vibe in that scene was really cool. My favorite scary scene. That was really tough because also I, I like the one that you mentioned, Sarah Michelle Geller running from the killer. But I also really like um, like the car scene with Barry. I like the first time they go... Well, actually, every time they go to Anne Heche's house. She is so creepy. She does so- such a great job in this film. But the one that I picked was the very end, the boat scene, when Julie is running around trying to escape, surrounded by water on this boat. But especially when she goes into the hold like the fish hold, I guess. The bilge? Yeah, the bilge, where um she has to climb on the ice and, and all that. I just think that's that's amazing, that whole se- sequence.
0: Easy, child. Easy. Are you in some kind of trouble, child? And that's one thing I appreciate about this flick, is that the glimpses that you see of the killer before you actually get the face-to-face, it is him. It's his face, it's his body, it's his movements. So they didn't pick some stunt double to be him And we talked about that before on a prior horror movie watch where it's almost like this cinematic license that these films get come to find out the killer's a woman, like an urban legend. And yet, when you saw the killer four or five times throughout the film, the size or the body movements do not match that of Rebecca Gayhart. But it's just something that it's allowable or it's permissible because it's a film. But this is the same guy. So I think that adds a, a certain degree of gravitas to it and credibility. I agree. Anne Heche is fantastic in this film because she's equal parts pitiful and you feel sorry for her, but she's also organically creepy.
1: Very And she's creepy. not forcing it. Yeah.
0: She's just behaving like someone who has been living alone for a long time, mm-hmm. probably only goes into town to get tackle, and she is grieving the loss of her brother. So-
1: Yeah. No a- social skills, creepy as hell. But She, she lets she lets
0: people use her phone and she offers them tea. So she is not completely devoid of societal pleasantries.
1: Yeah, but I i mean, the first few times I watched the movie, I was like, oh, is she, like, can she be trusted? Like, that's how creepy she was.
0: Before we cinematically, theatrically swan dive into the saltwater, sterling, stirring introduction, allow me to first gift an indelible shout out to Herr Montress. Thank you, Herr Montress, all connected on Instagram. Not only did Haley, aka Herr Montress, Keep my Key Mohawk Mohawk looking clean, dapper, and pristine there at Wavelength Salon on 9th Street in Durham, North Carolina for a shit ton of months. But she's also a fan of Key Sessions and offered some very supportive words on Red Devil and my first review of Slick Flick Pick, which was Constantine, my premiere episode of Slick Flick Pick. Thank you, Haley, for your warm words and support. In fact, the only reason that she's not still cutting my hair is because we moved from that area, and it's too far to drive two to three times a month. Because if you have a mohawk, you gotta keep it looking on point. If you are in need of a new look, and want to feel like a new man or woman, head on down to Wavelength Salon, or check out Hair Montress on Instagram, as one of her many talents is, in fact, hair coloring. Enjoy, cinematic fanatics. And I was just thinking, Haley may have some competition, as this killer in a slicker in this film proves to be quite the barber, what he does to Sarah Michelle Geller's hair as she sleeps.
1: Yes. And Jennifer Love Hewitt recently dyed her hair pink, talking about hair dye. Anyway, I digress.
0: Greetings, cinematic fanatics. Allow us the pleasure of ushering you through the spacious, two-floored, multiple points of ingress, boutique shop, Shivers, rife with mannequins, ceiling fans, two sisters from the same mister. One would marry a tennis player in real life, the other, Freddie Prince. But in this slick flick, they both meet their slicker, sporting slayer. Now that tennis player I mentioned would be Pete Sampras, who, who was married to Bridget Wilson.
1: Hmm. I, this is, this is all new to me. I told I you this just, many I... times
0: before. Bridget Wilson was Sonya Blade in the original Mortal Kombat. She also played Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter in Last Action Hero. Very attractive. In this film, she's very much a bitch, but she was absolutely married to Pete fucking Sampras. I only know this because when I used to watch Pete Sampras play Andre Agassi, I was always rooting for Agassiz. Andre Agassi would be with Steffi Graf. German. This coastal community is far from quaint. Revenge marks this town like bloody war paint. This comely quartet acting innocent is merely a feint for they're all party to crime. Once untarnished souls marked with blood red taint. And not even Miss White as Death Chalky Ass Corpse can claim she's a saint. But if the fear is so visceral, it makes you faint. And if your pulse pounds to the point where you'll lodge a complaint, I suggest you show some hook-slashing restraint, and so too will I break free of preconceived slasher flick constraints with this original, secret-prying, death-defying, life-undying, horror-slash-treat of Slick Flick Pick, an entertaining Slick Flick Explaining series, a desirable diversion from the main vein of Chemohawk Sessions. You are our cinematic fanatics. We, your worthwhile fucking cinephiles, for your 24th episode, Blood Red Devil and I review one of our most Southport shot, seaside, seaworthy, sinister 90s slicker flick pleasures. A pick that's proved one reliable timeless treat in a 4th of July parade of lackluster slashers where the killer though he walks, still arrives quicker. Fish guts, sea spray, and blood bead off of his slicker. But don't forget, this is a slasher. Sooner or fucking later, you'll feel a car crash or bloody hook gash, and you'll soon clean the wound with rubbing alcohol or liquor. I have reveled in this film since my first youthful blockbuster rental viewing. I once thought Scream took all the horror Slash slasher cake. And though this flick, they were quick to forsake. And my galoshes, it still makes me shake. My pulse pounds and heart thumps to more of a quake. And that climactic scene and shivers still down my goddamn spine sends signals of quivers. I confess to you, cinematic fanatics, this Kevin Williamson written flick, though financially applauded, was not equally lauded. To me, this remains A fucked up shame. For if you play this killer's game and remember who's to blame, this facsimile follow up to Scream is violent, not tame, and a fresh fucking entry into a stale genre, which casted four actors who would all find future fame. And while these two dudes aren't ugly, they pale to the beauty of their respective dames. This is a slick slasher flick in a slicker. And though not as fun as Scream, it is suitable for the summer and in fact quicker. I believe it's about 10 minutes shorter than the movie scream thereabouts. You would know. This is still a satisfying flick that hooks a trio of genres, mystery, horror, slasher. It transitions so seamlessly between genres and off simultaneously in such a way that you process it as a simple study in filmmaking sleekness. We offer you Regarding this classic, straightforward, uncomplicated flick, in a sheen that's glossy, sleek, and slick, a worthy follow-up to Scream, where expertly constructed set pieces and crafted and unexpected characters slash to pieces in I Know What You Did Last Summer, circa October 1997. This film starts filming along the jigsaw cuts off a rocky coast that extend into the bay. In the film's second half, once garrulous, now downtrodden Julie, don't have shit to say. Not one of these sexy leads steps foot in a church, nor kneels to pray. But two of the four, the hook man shall slay. And with their once warm, hot bodies, they'll dearly pay. Recline, cinematic fanatics, in your favorite well-worn stale chair. Rustle up some popcorn, fresh as fuck. The antithesis to that stale-ass chair we just mentioned. Zoom in and zone out as we unwind the daily grind with a slick bucking flick pick. I know what you did last summer is the flick, so very slick, hence our F-star's pick. When slick flick pick is near, stick around, till falsetto prophets and Red Devil's voice you hear. Lights, camera, action, lens distraction, and with the right slick flick pick, grant satisfaction. I am your worthwhile cinephile. She is your blood red devil. You're our cinematic fanatics. Together, we all excitement unlock and run down the real world's unimaginative clock while feasting our eyes on the slick, slicker, flick, flicker, pick, picker prize. Enter with us, you cinematic fanatics, into the realm of film's fantasy as we unwind the grind of reality. We offer you pick 24, slick, flick, pick. Blood is slicker than water. Blood Stained balustrade. I know what you did last summer, 1997. Today we'll discuss a once mild-mannered fisherman of his daughter bereaved. And though previously content, he's now aggrieved. Barry's beamer smashing into him left him quite peeved. His telling familial tattoo usually hidden under long sleeves. But one nefarious ass plot does he conceive. And at J Love's cleavage, boy, Does His Hook Cleave, Your Worthwhile Cinephile, Falsetto Prophet, and- Red Devil! Blood!
1: Oh. Blood, Red Devil!
0: And she's wearing red.
1: Yes, I am. But I'm not bleeding. But you will be.
0: So, Red Devil, is it fair to say that this is one of your favorite flicks in the slasher horror genre? Uh,
1: yeah. Along with Scream. When don't do you- ask me to rank them, though. I ooh, I don't know.
0: When do you think is the most appropriate time to watch this flick? Fourth of July, near Halloween, or in the summer?
1: Fourth of July is in the summer. I
0: know. <laughs> but that's, that limits it to one day.
1: I think, honestly, anytime you're about to go to the beach, you need to watch it.
0: I think they incorporated the ocean just enough. I mean, you either see it or you hear it for good, ch- good chunks of the film.
1: I feel like... Okay, I don't remember what film it was, but we just did one and we were talking about the beach. And I basically was like, anything with the beach, let me know. I'm going to enjoy the movie. It just.
0: The fog, maybe?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must have been the fog. It's not necessarily a nostalgia thing for me because we didn't go to the beach a lot growing up, even though we were just, what, an hour and a half. I just, I really just think I like the beach. I mean, Outer Banks, love that show. And I think it has to do with the beach.
0: Well, I mean, if, if Outer Banks was called The Brooklyn Odyssey, and it was in New York. I don't know. I guess it's just, it's such a large backdrop and it's mysterious. And it looks cool at night. There's a lot of cool sounds associated with maritime affairs. It's I understand. It's like
1: creepy, you know? It's a good, it's a good creepy backdrop.
0: Did you see this film before you knew me?
1: No. Because this would have come out, I would have only been 10.
0: Yeah, I know. But like in the 10 years no, after. Okay, I never did. I can tell you emphatically that when I was young, Scream. Was very scary to me. This wasn't really that scary, but I did enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Eerie, I think would be a good adjective or.
0: I think uh, it's just, I think it's just a cool story. And I think the visuals are real sleek. And I've probably seen this movie about 20 times. It's under two hours. You can have it on in the background. You kind of know based on two seconds of looking at the scene exactly where you are in the film. It is an attractive cast. It's a very enjoyable soundtrack. I like it. And I think this is one of those films that the critics were simply too hard on. I think that it deserves higher than you know a 6.3 or a 5.7. I think this is a low to mid-7 score. Just because they've made other slashers prior to this doesn't devalue this film. When you watch films, you have to take them on their own merit. And if you had never heard of a slasher film, and this was your first time watching a hookman chase an attractive cast of youngsters, it's a good movie. I think it's a solid movie. I love it. I Know What You Did Last Summer is a 1997 American slasher film written by Kevin Williamson, directed by Jim Gillespie. Top-notch cast of a bunch of people that would go on to find quite a bit of success. Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Felipe, Freddie Prince Jr. And that's pretty much all you need right there. But then you get some people on the side. Like I mentioned, Bridget Wilson, who played Sonya in Mortal Kombat, Sonya Blade. Then you get that guy from the Big Bane Theory that I don't give a shit about, but he dies anyway, so it's fine.
1: Also, he's rusty. Mm -hmm. More importantly. Yeah. mm -hmm. In National Lampoon.
0: The film draws inspiration from the urban legend known as The Hook and the 1980s slasher films Prom Night and The House on Sorority Row. Now, prior to Scream, Williamson was approached to adapt Duncan's Source novel by producer Eric Fee. Okay. I tried Cinematic Fanatics. I actually rented from the library, and tried to read, I know what you did last summer, the novel. And what I realized was it's about the equivalent of somewhere between Goosebumps and one of R.L. Stein's young adult novels, where it's clearly written for young adults. As I am no longer a young adult, I cannot get into it. But nobody is killed in that book. And it really just is more of kind of a revenge tale, almost Shakespearean. But Duncan is the author and I just couldn't get into it. However, I can tell you right now that if I was the age I was when I first saw the film, I would have loved that book. But I read about half of it, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So that's where I stand on the source material. But the film is rather different than the source material, but you can see how that was kind of it in its embryonic stage. Now, the film was followed by a sequel. I still know what you did last summer. And I can tell you that unless you just really enjoy Jennifer Love Hewitt's cleavage or seeing an ocean setting. It's a higher body count, there's less suspense, and the cast is highly annoying. Basically, you have a porter, played by Jack Black, who's just stoned the whole time. And you have Brandy. And now you do have a young Matthew Settle, who would be Spears in the show TV show Band of Brothers. It's whatever. I've seen it probably three or four times, but it's just not as good as this film, unfortunately. It received mixed reviews, but it was absolutely a box office smash. It had a budget of about $17 million. It would go on to earn $125 million. Imagine if you went to an investor and you said, listen, I'm going to give you this $17 million. And they say, okay, cool. Don't ask any questions. And then within a year, you see your returns and it's $125 million. Not only would you use that motherfucker again, but you would be telling everybody about this man or woman who did you write in the financial district. I like the film. Uh, maybe it's because I did see it when I was young. I don't know. If I saw it now, I'd still think it was pretty good, honestly. The slasher genre is hit or miss. There's moments in American history where we really want to see a bunch of slashers, and then there's moments where it's dead, like a Coke that's been out in the ocean for three days straight, sitting there in the heat, dead, flat, lame, no longer has carbonation. They also are going to be making a legacy sequel in 2023, this year. And if it's anything like what they did with the Scream franchise, we might be in for a treat.
1: High hopes.
0: Attention, cinematic fanatics. Most recent update on this Legacy sequel is it is scheduled to have Freddie Prince Jr. and Jennifer Love Hewitt, I assume, reprising the roles as they were alive in this film at the end, so I don't know.
1: Love me some Freddie Prince.
0: These are some of the taglines for this film. He's got a hook on them. Welcome to Southport, the perfect small town. But beneath the surface, there are secrets that just won't stay buried. And lastly, if you're going to bury the truth, make sure it stays buried. Well, these were some contender taglines, a.k.a. they could have been backup titles for this episode. Quicker, Slicker, Slasher. Hook Man with a Plan. Hit and Run for Your Fucking Life. Dead Man Swerve. And lastly, Man Slaughterer. As in, they attempted manslaughter on this dude who was slaughtering people. So, Man Slaughterer. Now, Red Devil, you and I have actually been to Southport, North Carolina. I sure have. Imagine my delight, cinematic fanatics, when we were there in Southport, which you have to take a ferry to get to from the mainland, I was able to locate the building where they filmed the scenes of the Croker Queen pageant where Barry gets got in the upstairs attic. I got to see that from the outside and walk around it. And they had like a plaque that said, oh, this is where I know what you did last summer was filmed. They film a lot of shit in Wilmington, North Carolina. And Southport is basically right there. But it was a great time to be there. And I can definitely see a lot of cinematography shot locations while we were visiting there. But I enjoyed being there. The name of the author that wrote the original source material novel is Lois Duncan.
1: Well, I was going to say about Southport. Also, you can go, it's a bar, but basically where Barry goes to work out and where he's hit by the car. You can go to that whole area, assuming it's still there, because after we went, a big hurricane came, it was intense. I'm not quite sure. We haven't been back since, so.
0: Okay, this is 101 minutes long. Scream is 111 minutes, so it is, in fact, 10 minutes shorter than Scream. That's why I was calling it a quicker slicker slasher. As far as casting goes, according to producer Stokely Chaffin, the producer sought out actors who were beautiful but likable. Director Gillespie recalled that though he had been unfamiliar with the screenplay's source material, that 60-65% to of the young women auditioning had read the novel as children. Jennifer Love, who at the time was mainly known for her role in the show Party of Five, was cast in the lead of Julie based on her ability to project vulnerability, which everybody agreed upon she would be the role of Julie James. Interesting side note, Party of Five also starred who would go on to be one of the most contemporary scream queens, Nev Campbell. And the slick flick that Red Devil and I will be performing after this one, Cinematic Fanatics, you guessed it, is Scream with Nev Campbell, my favorite. Okay, you love Freddie Prince Jr. You also love writer strong, boy meets world. I think if Jennifer Love Hewitt is an eight, Nev Campbell's a 9.6. She is almost perfect. And I've always liked her. And I'm sad <laughs> that she will not be in Scream 6. However, Red Devil and I will be seeing Scream 6 in the theaters in just a few weeks.
1: Yeah. As
0: it comes out in March.
1: Are you going to wear a Scream costume?
0: No. Mm. But I will spill coke on my knife and then I'll wipe it off. Ah. Just like he wipes the blood off of it. Interestingly enough, they originally wanted the character of Barry to be six foot two, like a large, broad shouldered, football player type because they wanted him to have an intimidating figure. But Ryan Felipe had some mojo because he'd already been in some films and they selected him even though he was not what they necessarily had in mind up front. Also, Sarah Michelle Gellar was the titular character Buffy Summers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so for her, it was a no-brainer. They also considered for the Julie James character, Melissa Joan Hart, who Melissa Joan Hart would go on to be in an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode.
1: Uh, And she's freaking Sabrina the Teenage Witch.
0: The Frozen Ghost. I think it was Tale of the Frozen Ghost. Well,
1: anyway. Salem. That was her black cat. Othello, you're my black cat.
0: The filming locations, it's very interesting because a lot of the things you see with the dead man's curve and the rocky shore, that's all California. That is shot at Colmar Gulch near Jenner, California. This is where you have the blind curve scene. And you have the, oh, they're on the beach and there's the boat and they're telling their little ghost stories. One thing I've noticed about these types of films, obviously I like the suspenseful moments, but the scenes that I really enjoy, whether it's I Know What You Did Last Summer or Scream or Urban Legend, it's when the characters get together on a college campus or wherever the fuck they are and they try to ascertain what's going on. They look back in the past because it's always linked to the past and they try to put their collective noggins together to solve the mystery. Those are the scenes that I like, whether it's at a coffee shop or a bar or a dive bar. I don't care if they're doing fucking jello shots. I just want them to be sitting together, trying to piece together what the fuck is happening. This is a great soundtrack. You have a Shaker with Hush, 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 Bum, 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 boom, boom, Now that's actually a remake or a cover song as well. Summer Breeze, another cover song by Typo Negative. Love it. DUI by The Offspring. So that really loud, fast song that's playing on the radio that Barry's like, what is this shit? That's The Offspring. Soul Asylum. I've always loved Soul Asylum, not to mention Toe the Wet Sprocket. Our Lady Peace, Clumsy. I don't recall that playing during the movie, but I love them and I love that song. Now, one of my my two favorite songs in this flick, it's Too Wicky by Hoover Phonic. And that is played at Shivers when Sarah Michelle Gellar is getting her ass stalked by The Hookman. Also, I love... Love when Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Geller are driving up to the creepy witch's house and it's Don't Mean Anything by Adam Cohen. So that's like nine songs that I love off of this soundtrack. Now, Ebert, who we will get to at the end of this review, he took a big bloody hook stain shit on this film. But he said, and I'm going to get to his review in more detail later, but this fool said, the best shot in this film is the first one. Not a good sign. I know what you did last summer begins dramatically with the camera swooping high above a dark and stormy sea, and then circling it until it reveals a lonely figure sitting on a cliff overlooking the surf. The shot leads us to anticipate dread, horror, and atmospheric gloominess. But alas, it is not to be. Well, shit. Thanks, Ebert, for bringing I'm us down. I'm starting to
1: wonder why you even read his reviews, because I feel like a theme, at least with the movies that I do with you, is we totally disagree with his reviews.
0: Well, there's many answers to that. Inquiry, first of all, it's a mixed bag. So this is now 24 slick flicks reviewed. I would say that Ebert and I see eye to eye about 75% of the time. He has given several of the films that I have reviewed three, three and a half or four stars. Absolute Power, Strange. So Absolute Power got like three and a half or three stars. Strange Days was four out of four. And the list goes on. He gave Scream three stars. He also gave Scream 2 like three stars.
1: Clearly, I've touched a nerve here, Cinematic Fanatics.
0: But even if, let's say, he shit on every movie that I love, I would still go over his reviews because one, he's one of the few reviewers that takes the time to fully analyze and give real well-thought-out examples, and it's to keep me honest. Now, this is called Slick Flick Pick, so by definition, I consider the flick to be slick. But I want to be held accountable. I want a little yin to my yang. I mean I wouldn't get a guest on that absolutely hated the movie although that would lead to some bickering which some people like to hear but like I mentioned in a white collar black belt episode I like harmony not disharmony so for me this is a magical time to reflect on films that we love but in this case Ebert gave it 1 out of 4 stars so I hope Ebert gets hacked and slashed by a hookman oh wait he's dead RIP Ebert
1: that really escalated
0: Mick LaSalle considered the movie inferior to its predecessor Scream, but he described this as a smart and sharply drawn genre film with a moral center and with a solid cast of young actors to hold it. Derek Ellie of Variety was also enthusiastic, calling the film a polished genre piece with superior fright elements that should perform at better-than-average theatrical levels. James Kendrick of the Q Network wrote, Williamson's characters are all generic types, but they're still believable as people. And they react realistically according to the situations. Lois Duncan, the author of the original novel, heavily criticized the film. She stated in a 2002 interview she was appalled that her story was turned into a slasher film. I remember reading something that said she wrote the original novel and she lost a family member to a death or murder or something. So her novel was not meant to like glorify violence. And of course, you know, this is a quote unquote. Mindless slasher film. If I were her, I would just be glad that my source material led to over a hundred million dollar profit. But hey, whatever. Now, accolades, Blockbuster Entertainment Award 1998. Jennifer Love Hewitt won favorite female newcomer, favorite actress. Sarah Michelle Geller won favorite supporting actress. And then, of course, the boys were nominated. Sarah Michelle Gellar was also nominated for Best Breakthrough Performance at the MTV Movie Awards. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar in this film. I'm sad that she died, and I thought she really exhibited a range of acting chops. Because in this film, I could see her being kind of the snarky bitch. But what I really see and I relate to in her character is I feel bad for her after the manslaughterer incident. After her plans to go to New York and become an artiste don't pan out. After she is being made fun of horribly by her older, bitchier sister, you really feel for this girl, like someone who's just unloved, and then she tells her best friend, I miss us, like I miss our friendship, and then Julie just stares out the window like she's possessed or on Thorazine or something, and I just feel bad for her, which is hard to do when you know she was probably the most popular girl in high school. This was followed by two sequels. I Still Know What you Did Last Summer, which came out the following year. Pretty terrible. And then... Eight years later, there's one called I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. Now, I watched that one, okay? I really try to give it a chance because it is in the mountains. It's like in Colorado or some shit, which is kind of interesting. Kind of like that video game that we like Until Dawn. And it has Tori DeVito in it, who's one of my favorite chicks, scream queen type chicks. She's just attractive and I like her. She would go on to be in a lot of these hospital shows, not Saving Hope, but some kind of shit like that. But the film was terrible. It was like direct to cable or direct to DVD, and I've tried to watch it, but it's just such a low budget. It's so terrible. I can't. I can't do it, which sucks, though, because the mountains kind of make a good setting. There's a scene where they're on a tram, and the killer's like at the top of the tram, so they know that they're ascending to the top, and they know Mm. there's nothing they can do. It's kind of cool, but it sucks. Now it's time for TT or Trivialized Trivia. Kevin Williamson wrote this script before Scream, but was unable to sell it. Following the big screen success of Scream, guess what? Columbia Pictures immediately bought I Know What You Did Last Summer. This is the reason many critics and fans felt this was a huge step down from his more clever and innovative Scream scripts. Disagree. Now, what's interesting is Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince have very little screen time in this film. In fact, there's only two times where they exchange words. But they would meet here, become good friends, and then fall in love and get married in real life. Writer Lois Duncan was vehemently opposed to her young adult novel being reworked into a slasher film. This was due to the fact that her youngest daughter was murdered by an unknown assailant in 1989. She said, as the mother of a murdered child, I don't find violent death something to squeal and giggle about. I mean, she's really personalizing of a rather general Well, I mean,
1: her daughter died. Can we give her a pass?
0: But does that mean that- if her grandfather died in world war 2 we shouldn't make war films where two soldiers give each other a high five and say yippee ki yay we sure killed those germans is that insensitive
1: i think it's different
0: you need you need to relax lois that's it red devil has just earned a new nickname people her new nickname is lois lois fucking insane lane <laughs> Oh my God. She just grabbed me with a hook. Uh, oh, it hurts so bad. It hurts more than you think it does when you probably thought it hurt a lot, but it's worse. Yeah. You know what? That's 1989. That's a lifetime ago. Jesus.
1: <laughs> You're terrible. Okay. And no. we find out,
0: we find out that in the novel, it's just that nobody died in her version. So in that sense, it's more like an old school mystery. I wish that I had been aware of that book when I was younger. I probably would have really liked it. But as it is, I did rent it about six months ago and I couldn't do it. The rocky road surrounding Dawson's beach where they have their little hit and run. This same mountainous area was used in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. (gasps) What? 1963. Love that movie. The group goes to Dawson's Beach, which is a reference to Dawson's Creek, also written by Kevin Williamson, which this was taking place in that same time, 1998. So there you have it. That's almost as good, that little Dawson's Beach drop. That's almost as good as an urban legend when Joshua Jackson is starting up the car and briefly the radio comes on and it's, I don't want to wait. (laughs) I love that. I was laughing so hard. I still laugh hard at that little tie-in. This makes me sad. In the movie, the Shivers Department Store, located in Southport, North Carolina, it's actually a real store called Harold's Department Store in Burgaw, North Carolina. As of 2019, the store looks very similar to the Shivers Store in the movie, selling a combo of clothing and home appliances. But as of 20-fucking-23, it's permanently closed.
1: Too slow. We
0: missed our window, which makes me sad. The final shot on the boat was actually on the Cape Fear River, which is pretty fucking cool. And the filmmakers nearly lost the boat while attempting to dock it due to the volatile waters. The scene where Helen, a.k.a. Sarah Michelle Geller, escapes from the cop car mirrors a similar scene in Scream 2, which would be released in 1997, with Sidney and Haley. And, of course, Sarah Michelle Geller gets a cameo in Scream 2 as C.C. Cooper. And she will be thrown out of a window. In this movie, she jumps out of a window. While we're talking about comparisons, there is a lot of overlap between this film and the original Scream, which we will get to as we move along. The theater that was there when I went to Wilmington, North Carolina in Southport area, it's called the Amuza Theater. A-M-U-Z-U Theater. Amuzu Theater. That is where the beauty pageant was held. And as far as I know, that building is still there. And it's pretty fucking cool. Kevin Williamson's own father had been a fisherman in real life and wore a slicker similar to the killer. This is what inspired the killer's outfit in this film. Body count. How many people do you think died in this film?
1: I already saw it, but I can try to guess the names. Okay. The guy at the beginning. David Egan. David Egan. Barry. Johnny Galecki. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Shivers, the the sister. Elsa. Helen's, yeah, Elsa. I mean, they're not counting. The they're comp. not counting the guy right. Oh, yeah, the
0: cop. That's it. Six. Six. Done. When Helen is being chased and her sister finally opens the door, her sister, and it is audible, but it's quiet, she says, you could have walked around to the Broad Street entrance, it's open, it's barely audible, but the killer heard this, and that's how he got inside of Shivers to kill them. And here's probably the funniest one. Muse Watson, who played the killer, still gets recognized as Ben Willis. He revealed, one of my buddies wanted to go down on the Santa Monica Pier to see it down there, and we scared some people when it was over. They stood up and were getting their coats and looked back and saw me standing there. And when I got back to my hideout in the mountains of Tennessee, my wife wanted to go see it in Knoxville. And these five or six kids sitting in front kept talking. And right after one of my close-ups on the screen, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, keep it down. I think he probably hasn't changed his underwear.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I would totally do that. If I played a killer in a movie, I would get so much joy scaring people.
0: Now let's dive off the Billy Blue into the Blood Red Sea. I Know What You Did Last Summer, 1997, Columbia, Mandalay Entertainment. That's where you get that cool tiger. That's Mandalay Entertainment. Great fucking intro song, Summer Breeze, Typo Negative, is a song written and originally recorded by American soft rock duo Seals and Crofts, released in 1972. Typo Negative released a cover of the song in August 1993 on their album Bloody Kisses altering their version to match their gothic metal style. Their version was originally to be titled Summer Girl, featuring new lyrics written by Peter Steele. But after Seals and Crofts found the lyrical content distasteful, the original lyrics were sung instead. The song is featured in the opening of the 1997 horror hit, I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's a very scary-ass intro, and things are not what they seem. You see this guy sitting alone? You don't give it a lot of thought, but it will be integral to the plot. He hears something, this sad drinker. Who imbibes in solitude. I once heard a rumor that if you drink in social occasions, you're not an alcoholic. But if you drink alone, you're an alcoholic. Interesting theory.
1: I think you can be an alcoholic both ways.
0: Well, look at you. Such an analytical thinker. Mm-hmm. Fireworks saved by the bombs bursting in air. But we're going to have to wait to find out what happens to this kind gentleman sitting alone on the rocks. Fourth of July. Croaker fish. Croaker queen specialists. Man, I hope to have friends one day that are as supportive and loyal as Helen Shiver's friends who are cheering her on at the pageant. Now, croaker fish.
1: Are you going to wear a dress or a bathing suit or a bikini?
0: Through art, I shall serve my country. <laughs> the Atlantic croaker is a species of marine ray fin fish belonging to the family Cyanidea, Jesus Christ, and is closely related to the black drum Pogonius chromus. Wow. Anyways- <laughs> what?
1: I don't, is this really the it content is, that people want? It is or? commonly
0: found in sounds and estuaries from Massachusetts to the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I looked up pictures of a croaker fish and it's fucking disgusting. Oh. It looks like something you would expect swimming around in a pond near Chernobyl.
1: I'm looking it up now.
0: The name croaker is descriptive of the noise the fish makes by vibrating strong muscles against its swim bladder, which acts as a resonating chamber, much like a ball. Fascinating. Is it? Miss Helen Shivers, winner. That reminds me of Rock the Dock when they're out on the dock at Kima Boardwalk, which we used to enjoy when we lived in and around Houston, Texas. And I love how she gives it back to her sister. Oh, a twit with a wit. (laughs) And you know, as far as good acting goes, I want you to pay attention to how these characters are in the first 25% of the film. Yes. Because one, Sarah Michelle Gellar is bickering with her sister. She's taking her sister's mean comments in stride, and she is more gregarious. Barry still has anger management issues. If he was in the film Seven, he would have been killed horribly via Wrath. But he does still have a affable way about him. And then, of course, Julie is this kind bookworm. Ray is just kind of a goofball. They will all be different. They're like thinner. And then Sarah Michelle Gellar is smoking later in the movie. Julie looks like she hasn't eaten in a month. And they all are glum and taciturn. It's actually really good acting. It makes me wonder if they film part of the movie... When they were early in the filming, and then they waited to film the latter half of the film after they were tired and frustrated, you know?
1: Or maybe they're just talented professionals.
0: Maybe. Excellent soundtrack, 90s all the way, just like Scream. It's very similar to the Scream soundtrack. A lot of alternative rock, a lot of grunge. Max, to me, looks like a serial killer. He lingers a little too long when he's staring at Julie.
1: Oh, yeah. The first time I watched this movie, I well, up until the point that he got killed, I was suspecting him, for sure.
0: It's that look, like- A normal person that had a crush on Julie would just be like, hi, Julie. How are you today? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I carry your backpack? This guy just rolls up and he's like, you need to wipe wipe that my shit don't stink grin off your face, Ray. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, Max. Take it easy. Take it easy, Max. He has a
1: death wish. (laughs) I'm I'm
0: surprised Barry didn't call him MaxiPad. That would have been funny. (laughs) Hey, MaxiPad, shut your mouth, bitch. I would have laughed so goddamn hard. Everyone, I guess, is entitled to having a moment or two of looking off. We have this rotted, rusted-out boat on the beach as they swap horror stories. I love it. And you get a a hook-for-a-hand story by the campfire, which happens to be an urban legend, but it's also pivotal for purposes of this plot. It's foreshadowing. There's a lot of foreshadowing in these Kevin Williamson deals, and this is no different. Because if you hadn't heard anything about this movie, you didn't know there was going to be a hook, man. So this urban legend lays some really potent groundwork for what's to come.
1: And they feed it; they kind of string it through the whole movie. Because when later on, whenever Sarah Michelle Geller's in the cop car, the cop, like they have a little interaction, and he's saying what he's heard about the legend of the Hookman. Right, well. right, right, right. So, it's I like, like it's that. like
0: it's like the whole town's involved. Yeah. And then I love it when he's like, "Oh no, he was gutted with a hook," <laughs> and then Ray just says, "You're all wrong." <laughs> and of course, this is the first Hookman reference. I am immediately drawn to memories of the Hookman episode. It was called Hookman and Supernatural. That is when Supernatural was at its best. And I love, love the Hookman episode. It's not identical to this movie, but it deals with repression, revenge, something not being what it seems, and a fucking Hookman killing co-eds. It's absolutely amazing. I could watch that episode three times a month. I love it.
1: And the scratching on the yes, top of the yes. bar. I love that. So
0: it touches on the urban legends, but it's also a hookman and it has religious connotations. But I absolutely love it. The infamous Hookman is a vengeful spirit who kills his victims with a shiny hook that serves as his hand, terrorizing a small college town in Iowa. Sam and Dean Winchester learn that all the victims are connected to the daughter of a local minister and race to... Find and destroy the hook man's bones before he comes for them. Two things about that. First of all, at the end of I Know What You Did Last Summer, Ben Willis loses his hand. So, for purposes of the second film, the sequel, which Ben Willis is in, he now actually has a hook for a hand. Who does that remind us of? Candy Man.
1: Candy Man. Candy
0: Man has a hook for a hand. Candy Man is an urban legend. But the second thing I was going to say about Supernatural.
1: Creepily, I've been staring at this Candyman poster. I see it every single time that we record. Dare you say his name five times?
0: Have you been looking also at the I Know What You Did Last Summer poster that's framed?
1: Yes, and the house on Haunted Hill.
0: The second thing about Supernatural is that in this this episode, Hookman, there's a scene where the roommate is killed because the killer was in the dorm in the closet. And it says, aren't you glad you didn't turn the light on, which is an urban legend in and of itself. That actually plays a factor in this film as the killer is in the bedroom. And you think like, and that's why this is a cool movie because nine times out of ten, had it been Jason Voorhees, had it been Nightmare on Elm Street, Sarah Michelle Geller would have been killed upstairs. She's not. Her hair is simply cut with a message. I know. I still know. Ooh, I'll always he's know. In the
1: house that that whole
0: scene's cool. I love that, but it's also and why? Okay, so why? Why does the killer not kill Barry nor Helen Shivers? Because for his masterpiece, his magnum opus to come to fruition. He has to kill on the year anniversary of when they manslaughtered his ass, almost. Yeah. So Plus, he's biding his time, fucking with them, getting right, them scared, like terrorizing getting that them. adrenaline pumping. Right. But he's going to kill them on July 4th. So if they don't explicitly explain that. The kids kind of bounce around their theories, but I believe that is why he let them live, because he could have so easily iced those fools. Sparklers. Sarah Michelle Geller has a sparkler. Now, much like Red Devil, I love a good sparkler. They're cheap. They're fun. They're pretty, right? Love them. And then, of course, Julie being the brainiac talks about how the hook is a phallic symbol, esoterically. Julie actually seems pretty bright. I foresee that she has a lot of 4.0 GPA type scores in her future.
1: Oh, yeah. And I love when she's talking to Ray on the beach and, like, she's all sad because they're going to go to college. And she's like, You're going to fall in love with a philosophy student. And he's like, No, no, no. Talking about how long distance relationships actually last and all that. And then she goes, Oh, yeah, cite your source. And I thought that was so
0: funny. Yep. She's clever. (laughs) Now, the impact that they make with Ben Willis to me is believable. It's really cool. This is a very awesome scene. And then we get this bloody boot that is found by Julie James. And this is a great scream. This is where Julie James confirms that she has a soul. And it was also quick thinking on the feigning of upchucking. I thought that was a brilliant little maneuver that they were able to think of on the fly.
1: And I blame Barry for all of this, by the way. This whole entire situation, lesson be learned. Don't be angry. Figure it out. Find your zen.
0: The colors and the cinematography are gorgeous in this film. Watching the Blu-ray edition of I Know What You Did Last Summer, it looks extremely crisp. And even at night, a lot of this is filmed at night. You can clearly see what's happening. I never had any difficulty trying to piece together what I couldn't see. The colors are lively and vibrant, and it looks rich. Now they see an anchor tat on an arm. This speaks to the lethal errors of making assumptions, Julie James. When you make an assumption, you make an ass out of you and me-umption. Now, Julie James is supposed to be smarter than this. She is the bookish motherfucker after all. But in the end, she made an assumption, and it will prove to be very costly. And then I love how Ryan Felipe says, oh, let's just pretend he's an escaped lunatic (laughs) with a hook for a hand, as though we were just taking out the trash, like we're a bunch of vigilantes. What's funny about this is it's yet another Hookman reference, and he doesn't realize yet, but it's terribly apropos. And then we have what I call the scar of the stolen tiara. Because Sarah Michelle Gellar's tiara is taken, now they're going to have to get wet and jump in this fucking ocean. I will say that the underwater scenes look amazing. It's also very, very scary when Ben Willis opens his eyes. They had to get the tiara, because it's evidence, and if the killer comes too... He will know that it's the woman who won the Coker Queen Pageant.
1: Croker. Croker
0: Queen Pageant. They'll know that she won the Croker Queen Pageant. So they had to get it back. How awkward do you think that drive home was for these four after they decide to make that pact? How fucking awkward of a drive I home. I mean, do you think I'm that
1: pretty was? sure it's probably silence. Or Barry was like screaming at everybody.
0: I think it's similar to the three minutes that I previously alluded to with Brother Admiral Adam on our Crimson Tide review, where Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman are staring at each other for three minutes on the eve of nuclear war. We have one year later. We are at Duke University, which Red Devil and I are intimate with, as we've made many, many walks on that lovely campus. It's very picturesque. It's very bucolic. It's a very nice setting. And we have this roommate who has Moesha hair. You remember Moesha? Yup. Very, very popular. Now, the comment that I just made is not to be interpreted as an insensitive one. Her hair looks almost identical to Moesha's hair from the show Moesha. Brandy. Brandy, who who will be in the sequel, I still know what you did last summer.
1: Oh, I didn't even think
0: about that. Mm -hmm. Urban Legend during the day music. So in the film Urban Legend, which came out in 1998, one year after this, listen to the soundtrack or the score. Listen to the score during the day when nobody is being stalked. And it's very similar music and I fucking adore it. As far as my message to Julie James, sitting there with her mother, her first day back in three months or whatever, eat your dinner, bitch. Her mom even asks, how's the snapper? And Julie just stares off into the distance.
1: Well, if you murdered somebody, I'm going to be asking you why the hell you She didn't murder
0: anybody. She was in the car, and the car struck a wildebeest. Julie James has stopped eating and looks thinner in her face. This is a hell of a commitment as far as acting goes. Her mother said she tried to get monkfish. What are monkfish, you wonder? Members of the genus Lophius, also sometimes called monkfish- fishing frogs, and sea devils. Ah, like Red Sea Devil? Mm,
1: cinematic fanatics. You didn't know that you were in for a biological aquatic lesson today, Marine biology, you? perhaps? Yeah,
0: sure. Found in the Atlantic and Indian Oceans, Lophius is known as the monk or monkfish to the North Sea and North Atlantic fishermen. I love how her mom says, are you on drugs? I wanted an honest dialogue and an honest reaction. Personally, I wanted a longer scene. Between her and her mother, between Julie and her mother, I wanted a longer scene to take place. I wanted to learn a little bit more about what the fuck happened to their father. We know he's dead because her mom makes a very insensitive comment and says, your father would be rolling over in his grave right now. Jesus, well, how long has he been dead? And how did he die? You know not be fucked up is if he got hit by a car and that's how he died. Or if he fell on a hook. How do you think he died? Cancer. We're going to take our first drink because this is the first time that Julie James is seen running unnecessarily up the stairs. So we are going to take a drink every time Julie James runs unnecessarily. I'm not even talking about being pursued by a hook man. I'm talking about running to the mailbox. You know what I'm saying? Totally unnecessary. She is a runner.
1: Also, like Nev Campbell in Scream, who also always runs.
0: I'm thinking about the scene in Scream where she's in the high school and she just bumped into Skeet Ulrich and then she runs to the bathroom. Maybe she had some loose loose, loose booty. Okay. Ominous sitting on the sofa at night. Creepy. There's a bottle rattling in the street. Tree limbs are blowing in the wind. I love this panning shot. That's why it made one of my favorite scenes in the entire flick. And then I love fact check, Julie. Damn, that was some cold shit. Fact check, Julie. Fact check. I hate people that say shit like that. Great acting Sarah Michelle Geller, or SMG. SMG sounds like something that shouldn't be in your Chinese food. Yep. The sister. Sarah Michelle Geller's sister is eavesdropping on them in shivers. And I found this to be a very noir like mystery moment. Is the sister involved? What is the level of the sister's involvement? All I know is she's a rancid bitch. I feel so bad for Sarah Michelle Geller. I'm not a big person on granting out empathy like Halloween candy. And I'm definitely not likely to, to dish out empathy or sympathy to attractive women that were very successful in high school.
1: Yeah, but not your strong suit. her
0: empathy. acting is, I don't see you dishing out a lot of sympathy to hot models that were in high school. <laughs> The, the purpose is that this is all a tribute to Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting. That is why I bestow her this treat of recognizing her outstanding acting abilities. How the hot have fucking fallen. Gorgeous lawn maintenance at Barry's house. We see that Sarah Michelle Gellar is smoking. She will smoke twice, two times in this film. And she seems very uncomfortable with a sig in hand. Unlike my main man, Stephen Dorff, who has been a lifelong smoker. Because she looks so uncomfortable with that ciggy in her hand, it makes me wonder if she's even a smoker in real life. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But she's just sitting there holding a cigarette, barely even smoking it. you mm, you're not a natural smoker. Great film shots. Max almost lost an eye with Barry getting wrathful with that hook to scare the shit out of him. Wow, we're gonna start calling him Scary Barry. Scary Barry. Red Devil and I just recently watched a film called Sidekicks. With the very attractive and R.I.P. because you died way too young, Jonathan Brandis, Very cute. And, and Chuck Norris. And his name was Barry and he's like, Barry, wary, Barry, wary. <laughs> but in this case, it's Scary Barry. Now, Red Devil's Shining Armor Knight, Freddie Prince, and a Wife Beater. That was when she was really happy watching this slick flick.
1: I mean, it's Freddie Prince. Mm-hmm. And also, he looks even better now with his little gray hair. Probably
0: like him better if it was Freddie King. No. Well, you're hoping that he's going to just- Grow into royalty, huh? When his dad dies and he becomes the king. Anyways, Helen is a good friend. She leaves them on the dock. No cock block. She lets Julie James and Freddie Prince talk on the dock. I and don't she think just Julie leaves.
1: James wanted to talk.
0: She didn't want to talk at all. Cause she's, she's a pasty pale pastrami motherfucker, she but she
1: has issues. Julie
0: the sprinter. Julie runs again unnecessarily. Boop. Running down the dock for no fucking reason. Shadows in the steam. I love this shot. We know what's coming. Oh shit, the hook is missing. Now that's just like Friday the 13th, or sometimes Halloween, where he did not have the hook with him. He had to acquire it. So this is showing the hook man getting his hook.
1: And it tells us he's a fisherman. It just kind of underscores that.
0: Southport Muscle. You and I have basically been there. Dog tags. Why is Scary Barry wearing dog tags? He's way too young to be in the military. They've either got to belong to a brother a mother or some other sucker possibly his father but there's no explanation as to why he's wearing dog tags i
1: feel like there was a time when dog tags were like fashionable like I you just, go to
0: the lexington ship and you just have a made.
1: yeah like i don't know i just remember seeing dog tags in stores and i'm not quite sure when that was but maybe maybe that's what's going on here i don't know
0: now the gym guy hank he's pretty cool i like him just you and me pal yeah that guy i'm glad he didn't die Now, this stunt with the Beamer looks fucking awesome. I totally believe it. I believe that Barry was thrown 20 feet when he crashed through that wall.
1: I thought he was dead.
0: And I like that he was actually injured. Like, he broke his wrist and he was a little fucked up after that. Believable. And then I love where he looks at Freddie Prince and he's like, you have a slicker. How do we know you're not the killer? This is where that paranoia from Scream, Urban Legend, John Carpenter's The Thing, this is where that paranoia starts setting in. And much like the main characters, we, cinematic fanatics and worthwhile cinephiles, We wonder who the killer is. And then I love the whole, we made a pact and we're going to keep it. That's straight out of The Hangover with Zach Galifianakis. When he cuts his hand, he's like, we're going to be blood brothers. It's a blood pact. I can't get a motherfucker to commit to a callback in my life. And they're all willing to lie about a murder rap? I need friends like that. Shit. David Egan. That's a big, thick-ass laptop that Red Devil noticed that Julie James is just typing on. Dawson's Beach. Subtle. Subtle. The name tattooed on who they thought was David Egan says Susie on it. Dun dun dun. Now they go out to the sticks. They have to go out to the sticks. So the women are investigating. So it's really more of a Nancy Drews clues and less of the Hardy Boys here. Because I feel like the girls are carrying the water on the investigating aspect Mm, of this flip.
1: Sounds right, sounds right. Yep.
0: I mean, I don't know if you want me to finish this thought, but their investigation would prove bogus because it's actually Ray, who knows what's going on, but Julie and Sarah Michelle Gellar, all that shit they did at Missy's house, red herrings. None of it's applicable, really. In a tertiary way, maybe. Who they think they hit with a car, they didn't hit with a car. Just saying. Wrong. Great song playing as they drive up to this house out in the middle of the woods. I mentioned Great that earlier.
1: by Sarah Michelle Gellar. Which are
0: actually extensions because yeah. she had her hair short for Scream 2 as CC Cooper which was released in 1997. But those are extensions that you see for the first half of this film.
1: Oh, and P.S. I might be late to this, but when Sarah Michelle Gellar was wearing her overalls, freaking love that. I loved overalls in the 90s, and I'm so glad that they came back.
0: So when Jennifer Love Hewitt was wearing the overalls?
1: Yeah, earlier. I, I know. I missed it. Okay. Actually, I really love all of her outfits in this, especially at the end of the movie. Love that sweater. The cardigan, cardigan with the, situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, super cute.
0: I liked Sarah Michelle Gellar's olive green dress a lot.
1: Yeah, and her sports bra, you know, when her hair gets cut off.
0: But that's a great song playing as they drive up. That's Don't Mean Anything by Adam Cohen. Again, the cigarette does not look natural in Sarah Michelle Gellar's hands. You do this, do this little homework assignment, Cinematic Fanatics. Watch Sarah Michelle Gellar holding a cigarette, and then watch Stephen Dorff holding a cigarette. In fact, Stephen Dorff looks so good with a cigarette, he was the main spokesperson for the the, oh, jewel, the jewel cigarettes.
1: Maybe she's supposed to look. Like
0: I know, that. but everything you do in film should look cool. It should look cool seeing. and it should, it should look organic. Like- Angela Lansbury always had a plan. Now, it's, this is actually pretty subtle, but I like it. They become, their pseudonyms become Angela and Jody because there's one mention in the car, Angela Lansbury. And then as they're walking up to the house, clever Sarah Michelle Geller says, uh, I think Jodie Foster did this in a movie, Silence of the Lambs, and it didn't work out very well for her. In the house, because they can't use their real names because they're trying to remain incog fucking neato, they refer to each other as Angela and Jody. So creepy, great and hish. She does a great job in this role. It might be one of her best roles. I don't know. But I totally bought it. Equal parts sympathetic and fucking terrifying. Southport High, 88, is when she went to high school. I'm thinking that this tea that the women actually agree to consume, I thought it was going to be poison. Agree.
1: I thought it was going to be bad.
0: Now, Ray- has been paying his respects under the pseudonym Billy Blue. The plot thickens, Blabber. but we will figure this out later. And it makes perfect sense because when the girls come back with their master plan, which is hey, let's take this yearbook to Missy and show her yearbook photos, and it's like, come on, Ray, don't you want to come with us? And he's like, why? Why would I want to do that? That's terrible. It's a y'all stupid plan. Y'all are being crazy. What? Excellent acting, Sarah Michelle Geller in the car. If I could cry over a slasher film. I would have cried then. But it's great acting. I miss you. I mean, that was some cold shit. In fact, in retrospect, I think J-Love should have gotten iced. And I think Sarah Michelle Geller should have lived, one man's opinion. In this case, after that cold rejection from Jennifer Love Hewitt, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is the biggest victim in the film.
1: I, I don't have thoughts.
0: Diet Coke. I take it all back. She deserves to die. This is why. She pours a Diet Coke, about a fifth of it, into a glass. No ice. She drinks it, leaves the can and the empty glass on the counter. Well, her fucking dad who zonked out watching a baseball game sure as shit isn't going to tend to that. How, how difficult would it have been for her to A, just take the can up to her room? B, put the glass that you just drank in the sink or finish the Diet Coke?
1: Because it's product placement, Ugh. not
0: beverage. Well, then that's shitty product placement because what that tells the viewer is Diet Coke sucks. That's why I can only drink a well, fifth it. Well, it does suck. You shut your you shut your mouth, goddammit. If
1: you're going to drink a soda, why are you going to drink diet?
0: Okay, I'm going to be Barry. I will
1: have a podcast I'm going to be Barry soda. right
0: now, and you be Julie James. You shut your mouth, Julie! You shut your fucking mouth, God damn it, son of a bitch, motherfucker! Barry, she was just asking if you wanted a pickle with your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Cut my goddamn crust off the goddamn sandwich! And I, why is he so pissed off? He's athletic. He lets out a lot of his anger on the, Boxing, the punching bag at yes. the club. He lives in a fucking McMansion, Outer Bank style, right on the water. I don't know. What the shit balls? Not to mention his girlfriend who loves him, was the Croker pageant Queen.
1: Shit! You know who he is? is
0: Brad Pitt and Seven? Oh, shit,
1: what's his name? In Outer Banks?
0: Oh, oh, JJ?
1: No, the drug-dealing boy, or the drug-dealing, um... Oh, Rafe? Yeah, Rafe. I kept wanting to say Raze. Um... Rafe, Rafe's
0: just a fuck-up. He's JJ's dad, where he just starts hitting him in the car when he realizes he's gonna have to post his bail.
1: Oh, that's sad, I'm sad, no.
0: Great stairs shot. Killer walking downstairs. Our killer gets up the stairs and turns into a room. She's just entering the landing of the stairs. It's great. Okay. Again, she, she left the glass on the counter. No coaster. She deserves to die. This is just straight out of the hook man from supernatural, which of course would come out years later in season one. Somebody has a case of trunk crabs. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, and what do you know? She's running again. Cheers. Julie James, instead of calling the cops, are going to the closest neighbor. Runs away from her car with a dead well, body in it. Right Max there. and What's
1: crabs. She, she
0: was uh, I got the impression that she ran a little while. Oh, enough time for the guy to get the crabs and the body out of the trunk. And she's
1: screaming again. She does really have good to scream. scream. Yeah, yeah,
0: but Sarah Michelle Gellar screams uh, very well in this film as too. But okay, okay. what what we're getting to though is that there was speculation online. Well, maybe she just imagined the whole thing. Like she has this, you know, hook man TSD, where she's not thinking clearly. It's some sort of trauma that's surfacing. And yet, we know that can't be the case, because as far as she knows, Max is alive and well. So there would be no reason on earth for her to speculate that he got got. Yeah,
1: agree. So
0: that just means that the killer had some time to clean up the body. But I agree, the trunk would still smell like shit. And then (laughs) Barry attacks Ray. He's like, you're going to die. That's ironic, as he will be the one killed.
1: Yep. And I feel like y'all have to punch it out. Boys are weird. Y'all just have to like- Get your rage out physically, and I'll never understand it.
0: Yeah, because you're too busy quietly poisoning people, you evil witch. (laughs) Now, New Brunswick High School band, they sound amazing, and we get this creepy ass music. By the way, Helen's haircut was done by a miracle worker because they had between like 7 a.m. and noon to make her hair look the way it looks, which is like pitch perfect.
1: Maybe Haley did it in Durham. Maybe
0: she did. This is where this is good filmmaking craft. It's sunny. There's a thousand people at this parade. And they still find a way to make it scary. That's good work. Good fucking work. Missy, again, is great. She's pathetic and scary in equal measures. I love that she gets like two full scenes in this film. This is why this Slick Flick Pick episode is called Blood Stained Balustrade. Barry gets got horribly. And Helen has to watch most of it unfold. Nobody believes her. They think she's just delusional. But there's this big glob of blood on the stair balustrade that the cop can't see. So as far as he's concerned, she is insane. But we see it, and we know it took place. That's why it's blood-stained balustrade. The cop car cage, straight out of Scream Two. But I gotta tell you, that scene, the way it was shot in Scream Two, was so fucking riveting.
1: Uh, yeah, because they have to freaking climb over Ghostface.
0: Over and- no oh, and the hails way those two enough. cops, those senior detectives, get got, ooh, they get fucked up by that mm-hmm. killer. I love how it's done in Scream 2, but I love this chase sequence. In fact, the only thing that might be better than this chase sequence of Sarah Michelle Gellar getting chased into shivers is in Scream 2 when the killer is chasing them around the sound studio
1: Ooh, with yeah, the soundproof that.
0: walls. That was just done so fucking beautifully. Here is a similarity between I Know what You Did Last Summer and Scream. The killer cleans blood off of his hook, just like they do in Scream. Now, it's cooler in Scream. Because in Scream, it's done really quickly, and it's kind of like stylish. Here, it seems like it's more functional, because if he's walking through town with a bloody hook- now
1: Somebody's going to have a question.
0: The music stops and shivers. Then the lights go out. Fuck. It's a great soundtrack during this scene. This is 2Wiki from Hooverphonic, one of the greatest upper echelon proficiently shot pursuits ever. She also loses her heels because she's smart. She wants to run faster.
1: But I like before all that, whenever she's like, Elsa. Yep. Elsa, and all I could think of was Frozen. <laughs> Every well, time
0: she said "Frozen," and even though he hides as a mannequin, you know it's coming, oh, but it still works. But the,
1: the first few times, I didn't remember that part. Like it caught me, but as you watch it, you can definitely see it's him.
0: Now the slashing on the elevator as she's trying to ascend—that's very similar to Sydney's double door lock situation in Scream. She opens the closet door to block the primary door, Brilliant. and then he's slashing his knife trying to yeah. get her anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what that makes me think of. But also, there's this really good scene in 1998's H2O, another slasher flick sequel with Jamie Lee Curtis and Josh Hartnett. But there's a scene where Miss Lynn O'Keefe, I think it's Jody Lynn O'Keefe, she gets on the dumbwaiter and she's pulling herself up the dumbwaiter to get away from Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. And then he's cleaving at her yeah. with a meat cleaver. Yep. So it's very similar. This is right out of Scream. She jumps out of the window, second floor, to get away from the hook man and then looks back up at the window and he's gone. That's just like Scream. When Sydney falls off of the second story, lands on the padded boat, and looks up and he's gone. I love that technique because you got to figure it's what, about 10, 15 seconds until he's down the stairs coming for you again? And ironically, Sarah Michelle Geller would be thrown out of the window in Scream 2, also in 1997. So here's the word of the day that I want you to remember when it comes to Sarah Michelle Geller. Defenestration. Defenestration is the act of throwing somebody out of a window. I shit you not. Fireworks. Now, why are these fireworks important? They serve as a capitalization of it's the one year anniversary since the attempted manslaughter of the slaughterer. And those fireworks are a bright, brilliant display of that fact. It's the anniversary of his murder slash attempted manslaughter. Jennifer Love Hewitt runs a lot in this movie. In fact, it's interesting that not once is Jennifer Love Hewitt ever actually pursued by the killer in open terrain, only on the boat. I think it's because he knows that as slowly as he walks, he'd never be able to catch her ass.
1: Yeah, she's pretty fast for a little thing.
0: One of my favorite lines in this film that was probably never intended to be like a real, oh, that's a great line, is when Billy Blue, <laughs> a.k.a. Ray, says, we will, we will. Oh, I
1: thought you Take were going to say Take my hand, the other Julie. Line.
0: We will. What? what was the line?
1: Well, I feel like your most quoted line from this is, easy child
0: well i've said that already throughout this recording but it's just so funny when if you're gonna try to get this girl who doesn't know what to believe onto your boat don't be like we need to go to the cops ray we will we will uh <laughs> I mean, no it was we effective. will not it Abso was effective the first
1: few times saw easy movie, child was like ah is it Ray?
0: Ah. are you in some kind of trouble child she gets on his boat whoops so here she is okay sorry
1: rewind
0: Billy's blues, bloody clues, we'll call it. But now Jennifer Love Hewitt is running again. And Ray's chasing her and his ass gets clotheslined. Damn. Just like in the WWF. He gets fucked up and we are cheersing again because Julie runs again. But this time it's warranted. I mean, that's some warranted running.
1: But and she runs fast.
0: She's on his boat. She thinks she's safe. Oh, shit. She finds her hat. This motherfucker takes mementos. Sweet Susie is the name of the boat. Susie Southport, North Carolina. Wake up. How does it feel? Susie. How does it feel to be wrong, Julie? I bet it feels great. Question. What's a hook without a hand? Am I supposed to laugh? He will have to be the hook man in the oh. sequel. But he loses his hand. They get the upper hand of that hand that he lost. <laughs> but it's great. It's about 12 minutes on this boat of just suspense. Julie finding herself deeper and deeper into the bowels of the ship. She finds all the dead bodies that were on ice, and it's- Dead bodies everywhere. This, to me, is the epitome of cat and mouse. This is some cat and mouse shit happening on this boat. But it looks great, and I love it. And of course, Ray saves a motherfucking day. Now we see some boats, Cape Point Sheriff, Maribel County. And now we're at the end of the film, and we're like a year later, and we're back at Duke University, which Red Devil and I have not only walked, but we've gone to the church service there, and we have spent a lot of time on the campus. It's a very, very pretty campus. But the weather in North Carolina is hot as balls, so I wouldn't recommend going there year round. But this cell phone, straight out of 1997, it's got a pull-out antenna. And then we see in very good penmanship: Kappa, Beta, Gamma, pool party at noon.
1: Yeah, like you kind of freak out though, like she does, right? Yeah.
0: I still know. Wiped on the mirror in the steamy ass shower. How funny would it be if that killer had Alzheimer's and instead of "I still know," it said. I forget. It'd be pretty funny, right? It wouldn't be funny, no. no. This Now, this is important. Okay, this ending where he like jumps through the, the glass and attacks her. If this is the end of I Know What You Did Last Summer, never again to hear about it. That's a fine ending. I don't mind that. But as there is a sequel, multiple sequels, and there's going to be a legacy sequel, and there's even a fucking TV show, which I've tried to get into, but I can tell you right now, cinematic fanatics, the television show on Amazon Prime called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Is nowhere even near the League quality of Scream, the TV series. I will tell you that right now. As this is just one of several I Know What You Did Last Summer films, this is a gag ending. Because clearly, none of this is addressed in the sequel. It makes me wonder, though. Maybe she's imagining it Because she has been through some shit. So maybe that's where the PTSD comes into play. Maybe. Is she having PTSD? Is she Red Devil? Do you know what PTSD stands for? Post-traumatic slicker disorder. But, um, Come on, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it was
0: good. It's Ebert good. gave it one motherfucking star. This is what he says. Like so many horror films, this one is set on a national holiday, the 4th of July. Uh, there's not a lot of horror films set on the 4th of July to my knowledge.
1: Born on the 4th of July is the only thing that comes to my it's mind. It's not even a
0: horror film. It's a war well. I mean, I guess it's it's like a it's sad it's a horror if it happened to you. Killing your friend in Vietnam and witnessing some dead Vietnamese babies during the Vietnam War, but in a small North Carolina town, A beauty pageant ends with Sarah Michelle Gellar being crowned the Croaker Queen. The reference is to a fish, but the pun is intended, he fears. Blinking back tears of joy, she announces her plans. Through art, I shall serve my country. We meet her friends, her obnoxious, rich boyfriend, Barry, her brainy best friend, Julie, and Julie's boyfriend, Ray. Love him. Barry is a jerk who likes to get in fights and drive while drunk. Well, technically he's not driving, but we'll sidestep that for now. Can you say alcoholic, Julie asks him, (laughs) and then he stares her down. He's like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill you, bitch. They build a bonfire on the beach and debate the old urban legend about the teenage couple who found the bloody hook embedded in their car door. So far, so good. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm loving all of this. In a
0: panic, they dump him into the sea, even though he is not quite dead. They're afraid to go to the police and risk reckless manslaughter charges. This is your future, Julie, Barry screams at her. Helen then goes off to New York for her showbiz career, and Julie heads off for college. But by the next summer, they're back home again, pale, chastened, and racked by guilt. The ads make much of the fact that I Know What You Did Last Summer is from the creators of Scream. That means both scripts are by Kevin Williamson. My bet is that he hauled this one out of the bottom drawer after Scream, past the $100 million mark. The neat thing about Scream, remember he gave it three stars, was that the characters had seen a lot of horror films were familiar with all the conventions and knew they were in a horror- type situation, and I know there's one moment like that as the two women approached an ominous house, they observe ominously, Jodie Foster tried this, but for the rest of the movie, they're blissfully unaware of the dangers of running upstairs when pursued, walking around at night alone, trying to investigate the situation themselves, going onto seemingly empty fishing boats, etc. First of all, in scream. While the characters are aware of the tropes, they do them anyway. He says, I'll be right back. They go down into the garage to get beer. They still break all the rules in the movie. You know what impressed me? Was Jeepers Creepers, where the sister, who I loved, runs over the creature in the street. And she's like, oh no, I'm running over this motherfucker another eight times. So that's actually a rare example where the character does something fucking smart.
1: Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get that slicker?
0: Tell me, Red Devil. Any last minute thoughts or asides or footnotes on I know what you did to this podcast?
1: Well, I love this movie, but after all this talk about Scream, I really want to watch Scream again.
0: You'll get your chance when we will be reviewing Cinematic Fanatics, Red Devil and I for episode 25, pick 25, Slick Flick Pick, will in fact be doing Scream. How many screams will we end up doing? All of them. But we're not going to do them back to back to back. That's too much Scream and too little time. We won't have a voice. I remind you all that Scream 6, for the first time ever, we will be in New York for Scream 6.
1: New York!
0: Courtney Cox will be returning and Hayden Panettiere, which, as I understood, died or was horribly injured in Scream 4. But who knows?
1: Well, her brother just died. That's sad.
0: Yeah, I know. He was young. We don't know how. Hookman.
1: R.I.P. Hayden Panettiere's brother. You don't
0: even know his name, do you?
1: Brandon? I don't know. Jansen.
0: Nice try. Whoops. This fisher slash killer strolls quicker and a slicker, but he also offers, free of charge, a nocturnal haircut. But really, it's Helen's sister who deserves to die, as she's the bitchy, callous, incorrigible older sister slut. This post-high school quartet remains in a rut. Felipe, so clean cut, with a crew cut, gets hooked right in the goddamn gut. And Geller, in her olive green dress and bare feet, should have taken a shortcut. This seaside township is plagued with suburban legends, innuendo, and scuttlebutt. Of the aspersions, none try to rebut. Though a coastal community, I saw not one palmetto, nor coconut. Julie's face remains uncut, but creepy, lonely Missy is still a nut. Holding a fish-gutting knife and rocking a pancake flat butt. Remember, cinematic fanatics, this one-armed, hook-sporting slicker man still does know. If you brave steamy showers alone, you've got to go. Soon we'll see Miss Julie six feet below. We remain always your worthwhile cinephiles, and you are our cinematic fanatics. Keep that popcorn fresh, or saltwater taffy, if you will, or at least edible. For our next Slick F-Stars pick, pick 25, Slick Flick pick, two ghost-faced dudes deceive, then Cleave Neve, Prescott Red-Handed, Scream 1996. Now I know.
1: Very clever. I know her name
0: is Nev Campbell. But Nev don't rhyme with that shit. So it's going to be Neve on the eve of Neve. Balsetto and... Red Devil. Out.